It's an 87th Precinct podcast. This is the only podcast in the world dedicated to Ed McBain's seminal series of police procedural novels, which began in 1956 with Cop Hater and ended in 2005 with Fiddlers. There were 55 books in the series, and today's podcast looks at book number 31, So Long As You Both Shall Live. To review the book, I'm joined by my two best men, Mr. Morgan Something Borrowed Brown. Hello there. And Mr. Stephen Something Old Royston. Oh, that's very... I'm not even the oldest. (laughs) I know, but I write the introductions. (laughs) In fact, I'm the the youngest. youngest. (laughs) That's true. Well, my name well, is Paul. Laugh. Oh, I'm sorry, Stephen. I didn't know. I didn't want to call you something blue because I was really enjoying it until that line. <laughs> Thought it was a great introduction. Well, as I say, my name is Paul Abbott, and I will be your wedding DJ today, playing songs you don't want to hear at volumes you can't listen at, whilst you wait for some buffet snacks to come out. More brilliant. Thanks. But remember, you can visit us at Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram by searching for Hark Eighty Seven Podcast. You can email us at hark87podcast at gmail.com and if you want to help us out then please leave us a review on whatever podcast app you use but especially Apple Podcasts because that's very helpful for us reaching more people and before we get going I've got a couple of things to promote one is a podcast called Round the Archives run by Lisa and Andrew who have very kindly let me and my voice feature on the new episode so this is an archive TV podcast Mainly British stuff, but occasionally venturing a bit further afield. And I have um, taken them over to the NBC studios in 1961 to talk about the 87th Precinct TV series. That has been released this weekend, as this podcast is being recorded. So if you search for Around the Archives on your podcast apps and look for episode 42, the new episode, you can hear me on there amongst many other contributors talking all about archive TV stuff. So definitely dig that out and have a listen. And also, I've been reading a book, which I've got to write a review of soon, called Sticking It to the Man, Revolution Mm. and Counterculture in Pulp and Popular Fiction, 1950-1980. Edited by Andrew Nett and Ian McIntyre. It's a follow-up to the book I think I mentioned on this years ago, probably now, called uh, Girl Gangs and Biker Boys, which was about youth culture in, in, in pulp and had some good Evan Hunter stuff in it. But if you're looking for a book, he said, make a good present, this book, it would. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're looking for a book that's all about pulp fiction, re- about revolution, about social issues, lots of stuff about gay life, black life, Aboriginal life. It's got quite a nice sort of lots of Australian stuff in there as well. And it's got tons of great illustrations of pulp book covers and things like that. That's really worth looking up. Lots of people who listen to this would definitely appreciate that book. So it's called Sticking It to the Man, Revolution and Counterculture in Pulp and Popular Fiction, 1950 to 1980, and no further. <laughs> but it is great. It stops mid-sentence. Yeah, as the clock ticks over. <laughs> but let's get uh, stuck into the world of 1976 and McBain's world. Mm-hmm. Are you interested to know what's going on in outside of the 87th Precinct? As always. Mr. Indeed. Evan Hunter? Yeah. There is a novel comes out called The Chisholms, a novel of the journey west, which is mm. like a frontier type mm. program, I think, a program book. I say program because it eventually became the basis for a TV miniseries. Oh, right. Yeah, I've, I think I've seen that, yeah. Oh, dear. Well, 
Now you've just said that, that definitely rings a bell. Well, you I wonder may. if that's a talking pictures thing, Well, actually. Mm, anyway. It was 45 minutes times 13 episodes that was made in the late 70s. Who was in it? I haven't got that information. Yeah, I'm fairly certain I've seen mm. snippets of that. I wonder if it'd what? be one of these ones that crops up on something like... Um, what do they call it? Lots of wagons moving yeah. around. That yeah, it'll be a wagon train type thing. Won't it was it? a CBS Definitely. thing, so there are a few channels in the UK that you sometimes just get. It's just full of westerns, isn't there? Some of Dennis them. Weaver, somebody like that would have been in it. <laughs> so, oh, well, that'll be interesting. But to, yeah, so that's his big novel. He also has a novel as Ed McBain called Guns, mm-hmm. which I have read and can't remember anything about. Uh, likewise. But I believe it contains some reference to the events of See Them Die. So I don't know whether he's crossing over worlds there, because that's not an 87th Precinct mm-hmm. novel. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also puts out a novel called Me and Mr. Stenner, which is an Evan Hunter novel, which is all about uh, a stepdaughter learning to accept her stepfather and maintain her relationship with her birth father, which is clearly based on the fact that a couple of years before Evan Hunter had married, uh, remarried rather, mm-hmm. got divorced and remarried to Mary Van Hunter and her daughter, Amanda Finley lived with them. So clearly that is about the mm-hmm. relationship. Because uh, Evan Hunter adopted her as his daughter, essentially. But uh, this book is well, clearly about that. Mm-hmm. And that was also adapted by CBS in the 80s. Crikey. Then there was a couple of short stories published in Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine, Mystery Monthly, uh, which were, I think, extracts of bits and pieces. One called What Happened to Annie Barnes. The one called Stepfather, clearly a bit of me and mm-hmm. mr stenner and consolation which i'm not sure about but there were no film or tv adaptations in 1976 of any he must have written pretty much non-stop yeah, definitely yeah i think he we, he basically did it as a job he got up in the yeah, morning went to I mean, his like, went to his yeah. shed his writing room and did that until tea time five days a week hmm. so some of what he produced became something and others didn't i suppose yeah, yeah. So he was constantly, you know, he's constantly trying to write plays that never seemed to get anywhere. But so, if you ever look through the Evan Hunter archive listings of stuff, there's a lot of things in there that never saw the light yeah. of day. Yeah, I still feel like we need a, a revival of that musical that was mentioned a, a little oh, while ago. Yeah. yeah, well, imagine a musical version of the 87th Precinct. Yes, I'm imagining it already. Well. There are some, some books that deal with music, aren't there? Oh, I'm coming just... up in the in the eighties. Uh, now you've reminded us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, this uh, this so long as you both shall live came out in Random House in 1976, Signet 1977, Hamish Hamilton, I bet. Hamish Hamilton yeah. in 1976 in the UK, and the UK paperback was Pan 1978. Do you want to do a couple of little bits about 76 in general? Go on then. Any ideas of what happened in 1976? 1976. What 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 happened? Um, Punk and that. Punk and that. We might talk a bit more about that in the bonus episode. Uh, That's all I can think of. Carter was elected, I suppose, December, November, even. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Jimmy Carter defeated Gerald Ford in the presidential election. Mm -hmm. In the UK, Harold Wilson resigns. He did. Callahan takes Mm -hmm. over. We've got the death of two grand figures of creativity, one being Agatha Christie. Oh, crikey, yeah. So she... well, I thought you meant like Charles Darwin or somebody else. I'm sure he died before then. <laughs> <laughs> and God, he'd also. 
passed away. But in April, Sid James of the oh. Carry On films oh, died. Oh my goodness, yeah. what a momentous occasion for this podcast. Yeah. Well, he died on stage. <laughs> and of course, because he's a comedian, yeah. everyone thought it was a bit. Oh. He thought he was doing a bit. But, you know, if you're going to go as an actor slash comedian... Remember how old he was? Perhaps he's one of those people who wasn't quite as old as he looked. He know. always looked very old. Mm. Well, he did, didn't he? Yeah. He always looked the same age as well, weirdly. Mm. Yeah. Let's see what else we've got. Oh, there's a couple of things here. First ever commercial Concorde flight happened in mm-hmm. January of 76, even though the plane had been tested and trialled over the previous years. The Intercity 125 fully introduced on the train oh. lines of the UK. Oh, exciting stuff. And a motorway was completed. Can you guess which motorway? Here's a hint. It's the nearest motorway to us. The M62. Yes. The M62, which had been started in 1960, was completed officially in 1976. At a length of 107 miles. Oof. A motorway which you've probably travelled on a <laughs> billion times. I, well, a lot, many, many, many times indeed. As recently as yesterday. <laughs> in fact, I was on it today as well. <laughs> So let's get away from the broad things. Let's get stuck into the book, uh, So Long As You Both Shall Live, which is dedicated to Jack Scoville. Oh, yeah. Who he invented the Scoville scale, I'm going to say. <laughs> you can say that. Chilly heat. <laughs> Famed for you know, chilly measurement. It wasn't that Scoville. No, rats. He was a literary agent who was clearly a friend of Evan Hunter's because he began his career at the Scott Meredith Literary Agency uh-huh. where Evan Hunter basically started his career. Oh, that makes sense. So apparently he was a very well-liked man, so I presume they were just friends because I don't think he was his agent. He wasn't mm. McBain's agent at all. So, But anyway, that's who the book's dedicated to. Mm. He only died in 2012. But before, actually, before we get to the words in the book, we do know that this is one of the two McBain books that was adapted to become a Columbo episode. Oh, right. I bet that went well. Well, as we have established before, the Columbo adaptations of these books are not well thought of at all. It's such a shame that your two favourite things are like, when they met, (laughs) disastrous. It's a big shame, that. I did watch it not long ago when I got the Columbo box set because this one doesn't crop up on telly at all. It's called No Time to Die on the um, TV adaptation of it. Well, like an 80s one, or It's 90s. No. They're both 90s ones. Oof. And it rarely comes up on television, this one, because it doesn't follow the formula. It doesn't follow the Columbo formula. Oh, so, so you don't know who's done it? Well, you you just it's just the story. It's just the McBain story. There's not the... Oh, there's not the classic, we see the murder first, set up. Mm. So the baddie's some no mark, is it? Or is it some... Well, it's as it is in the book, really. No, no, I mean the actor. Um, yeah, I think oh, so. Big letdown. It's not Robert Culp or anything no. like that. Not Patrick McGowan. Anything good like that. The difference between this book and the Columbo thing is obviously all the cast of detectives are squashed down into Peter Falk. <laughs> so Peter Falk is playing... You know, Corella and Fat Ollie. And, oh, God. You know, yeah. you know, Arthur Brown and everything like that. You lose that dynamic. Which is where a lot of the enjoyment of the book comes from, obviously, the interplay between the detectives. Yeah, and yeah. it starts, it's the wedding of Columbo's nephew, Detective Andy Palmer. Andy Palmer? Yes. P-A-R-M-A, not P-A-L-M-E-R. Okay. So Kling becomes Detective Andy Palmer who's the nephew of Columbo. But the uh, stool pigeon Fats Donner is in the 
Columbo adaptation, except they've changed his name to Tubby Comfort. (laughs) (laughs) It's nuts, isn't it, the stuff they do? That's very peculiar. Why you would keep that character in and just call him Tubby Comfort. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Very peculiar. Right. Initial thoughts, gentlemen. Is this a holiday special from McBain, this one? What? As in... You know when a long-running TV show has to do a holiday special? Or does, like, a, a bit of a dafty? Yeah. Um, a little bit, yeah. We, we've already had one wedding-based mm, book, haven't yeah. we? Yeah. T- until death. The trouble with the plots that revolve around something like a wedding, they're, they're all, <clears throat> on the face of it, a bit contrived, really, aren't they? Kind of... Yeah. It's they feel much- a bit silly. But having read the yesterday for the mm. second time in one blast and then finishing it uh, only a few hours ago, um, I found it quite enjoyable to read, actually. It's definitely not as silly as the other wedding no, one. No, no, it isn't. It's It's got a bit more of a feel of, of the, the novels around it in the sequence, I think. It's... it's yeah, because the other one's pretty much farcical, isn't it, really? Yeah. yeah. It's like a farce, except it's got murders in. What helps this? It helps uh, move on Fat Ollie's character a bit as well, so yeah. you, you get to know that. a bit more. And he does probably a lot more than Corella in mm. this, I think, just about. You get the yeah, impression yeah. of that, anyway. Yeah, um, I think Fat Ollie generates a lot of the interest in in the in the novel, really, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, so it's, it's quite good for that. So the overview of the story is essentially it's Bert Kling and Augusta Blair's wedding day. She gets kidnapped. They don't know by whom. They don't get a ransom demand. And it's a, it's how are they going to find her? Because obviously something bad's going to happen. And it's it's the chase to figure it, figure out what's happened because they've got nothing to go on. Which is a simple enough premise for the thing. There's always, in my mind, a bit of a problem involving the people affected by a case in the investigation of a case. Mm. But I don't suppose... I suppose if you've got a, a wedding full of cops... Mm. You, they're going to be doing the investigating. I guess so, yeah. So, I don't know. Because it's everyone. It's a bit of a hail, hail, the gang's all here situation, isn't it? Everyone's at this wedding, you know, that has been named in the books, more or less. Pretty much. Yeah, he could have pulled more. He, he does slim it down for the actual invest, most of the investigation, mm. though, helpfully, because then it would be a bit silly if uh, <laughs> they're all running around. But Because uh, um... you've definitely got at the wedding, you've obviously got Kling, because he's getting married. You've definitely got Corella, who's his best man. You've got Bob O'Brien. Oh, Would yeah. you bring Bob O'Brien to a wedding? You know, you end up shooting somebody. <laughs> Hal Willis Hal, is there. Hal Willis is there. Pete Burns is there. Maya Maya's there. Andy Parker's Park. there. I think he... Yeah, because there was some d- debate about whether he'd have to invite Andy Parker, wasn't there, previously? And I think he'd say, oh, well, even Andy Parker, really? Yeah, we'll have to invite him. Well, he said, him. yeah, because he said, if, you have, <laughs> if I don't, and then yeah. we're on a... <laughs> We're, we're paired on an investigation, and um, yeah, 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 I don't want him to think about me not inviting him to my wedding. Yeah. So, um, but that's the only role that Parker plays in this story is basically to be at the wedding. Yeah. He's not like he's involved in the investigation, is it? Particularly. No, indeed. Which is probably for the best. <laughs> but we do get in the course of the investigation. You do then, of course, you get Arthur Brown 
comes in. We assume he's at the wedding somewhere, but he's not in the opening sequence. And Captain Frick is out of the oh, yeah. precinct house. We haven't oh, had yeah. him in anything for ages. That's one of my uh, one of my favourite bits in this was yeah. the passage with Captain Frick. Cause yeah. I think he's always quite good value. He does tend to be. The senile guy who's in charge of the entire precinct. Hmm. So the question that's asked quite a lot, and it was asked to McBain over and over again over the years, was, why are you so cruel to Bert Kling? And, you know, all you have to do is, we're only, well, we're 31 books into the sequence. The first time you meet Kling, he gets shot. Second time we meet him, second book, he's betrayed by his old acquaintance, but meets his first partner. <laughs> and they trundle along for a bit, and then she's killed. Mm. Mm. Then he meets someone else, starts dating her. Uh, he's then violently assaulted, and she dumps him. <laughs> then he meets Augusta Blair proposes and we've reached book 31 <laughs> they get married she gets kidnapped yep poor old Bert poor young Bert and what was his answer to why he was always mean to him I don't know I don't think he ever said that he just used to talk about old ladies writing him letters saying when is he when are you going to be nice when is Bert going to be happy <laughs> it's like I think he just enjoyed torturing him mm. you know having a character that was that should have everything he's handsome he's young he was quickly promoted he's Maybe that's the he's the uh, opposite of Corella in everything always works out for ooh, bit of a spoiler there I suppose, for Corella really yeah <laughs> it's yeah he just had to pour horror onto someone and mm. Bert gets the worst of it I think I mean yeah. obviously Steve gets shot a lot but <laughs> yeah but he always uh, he always pulls through anyway mm. so let's go through the story a little bit start at the reception of the wedding. Oh, yeah. With a photographer who can't remember the, uh, the groom's <laughs> name. Yeah, he gets he gets about four different versions, possibly even five, doesn't he? In the yeah, the course of that. I think it's quite sequence. a clever little writing trick, actually, because in the first paragraph, he, Kling is called Bart. Yeah, and you yeah. read it and you're going, "Oh, it's a misprint." Yeah, I I almost didn't notice it. I kind of like did a bit of a double take, and but then. then there's another three or four occasions where he's given a different name, <laughs> Boyd or something like that. Yeah, he's definitely Boyd, possibly twice, I think. Because the photographer's <laughs> only got, yeah. <laughs> photographer's only got eyes for Augusta because she's a model that he and knows. And you think he's a real rival, and then he goes on to say Alexander Pike was 64 years old or something like that. Yeah. You're like, all oh, right. <laughs> it's a very good opening sequence to it tell is. it through the eyes of the photographer. Yeah, it's a really good um, ploy, that, I think, yeah. It's a, a red herring, a huge yeah, well, red herring. Well, from... yeah, because you're immediately suspicious of this guy, aren't you? Yeah, because yeah, he doesn't want Augusta to marry someone else. I'll tell you one thing that is great about this story is it is, for the fan of the, the series, it is chock full of references back to other mm. things, that some of which I don't think he's ever re-mentioned again. I think, like, Teddy's butterfly tattoo, yeah. which she gets in The Con Man. I don't think that's been mentioned, perhaps once. Yeah, it crops up very rarely, but yeah, it was nice to, to get a little mention of that in. There's a lot of uh, just little nods to different parts of the series, aren't there? Even from sort of, yeah, years and years back. Because wedding guests include Art and Leslie Cutler, the... The, the agency, yeah, aren't the they? Yeah, fashion agency people who've appeared in two or three stories now mm-hmm. as incidental characters. In, then, yeah, so the photographer's in there as a... As a huge stinking red herring right at the start. <laughs> and obviously when your wedding reception finishes, you go up to your hotel room. 
and have a shower and come back and your bride's missing. Obviously. And a shoe left behind. Yeah. <clears throat> One shoe. Actually, that's the other role that Parker plays in this, um, yeah. is to be the, the the person who is suspected of playing oh. a rather overzealous prank, isn't he? Because he's made some mention of uh, of a, a ritual of kidnapping the bride. Yes. So <laughs> Kling doesn't know what to make of it. He thinks they've actually gone and done it. They've kidnapped the bride. But then the shoe is the, the clue of like, well, why would you only have one shoe on now? Uh-huh. Then ensues the investigation then, I suppose. Yeah. Straight away. Yes. So he, he confides in Steve Carella first and foremost. And Steve sort of checks and puts together the pieces that this is a kidnapping, something has happened. And then that it becomes a full police operation. After he's talked to a fella called Bill Bailey, <laughs> who's insistent, uh, well, insists on referring to the song, Won't You Come Home, Bill Bailey, <laughs> all the time. Which then Fat Ollie later picks up and just calls him that as his full title. Yeah. <laughs> is that the guy who sees the van at the back? Yeah. Yeah, so, yes. yeah that's how they figure out how they've yeah. got Augusta out the building. So they know that a van came at a strange time of night because a guy saw it, not very clearly because it's through sort of grease-stained windows, Yeah, <laughs> but he knows that a van turned up and it must have been that that took her away. A white van. A white van. <laughs> yeah, isn't another one of those nicely kind of, like qu- fairly quickly but quite nicely sketched incidental characters in the uh, Mr. Bailey. He is, yeah. yeah. A classic McBain character. Yeah. It's nice when they, they return to him later on, which we'll we can talk about in a bit. But yeah, the investigation begins in earnest. And like we say, Captain Frick makes a, a rare appearance in a, a crime scene, essentially. And they just sit him in a chair, <laughs> basically. And I just like that the interplay in that section is brilliant. Yeah, it is very good. Because he just he, well, he, he thinks it's a, a burglary, doesn't he? But mm. then he's he like, <laughs> everyone else is very sceptical that a burglar would have chloroform with them and kidnap somebody. <laughs> <laughs> well, and not burgle anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting how the captain of the police precinct is sort of put in a chair and sort of say, you just sit there and I'm not... <laughs> Well, yeah, he's sort of entertained like a slightly bizarre relative. Yeah, he's definitely a bit senile, isn't he? And a bit kind of over the hill, definitely. Yeah. Um, so they sort of have to manage him in the space by putting him somewhere. So saying, yeah, well, possibly, possibly that, but maybe not. <laughs> Although they they make him to make himself believe that he's come up with the idea of how the investigation's gonna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no one can really agree on quite what the crime is because there's no ransom call. No. So they're all set up ready to tape the phone calls if, if someone does come in and ring up and make a ransom mm. request, but it never comes. So they've got nothing to go on. And they are, to be honest, a bit uh, scrambling around until uh, Fat Ollie arrives in the squad room and uh, lends <laughs> his assistance. Yeah. And in the meantime, Augusta has been kidnapped and we see that She's been blindfolded and someone's threatening her with a scalpel, basically. So the scalpel's an important part of this because that's why she's terrified. So you get that for the rest of the book, don't you? Cutaway scenes Mm. with her in this room. Yeah, Um, which is an uncommon feature in the series, I think, to have a a second thread sort of cut away to a completely non-cop-based story. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I suppose it is. She's going through the ringer a bit with this 
person that's kidnapped her. A blonde-haired guy with a German accent. Yes. I guess initially she doesn't even particularly know that, does she? Because she's been... She's she's all uh, taped up, can't see anything, can't speak. Dear me. Yeah. She's not having a good time. No, not at all. So police are trying to get stuff started, and then one of the ways they do that is go off to see their stool pigeons. (laughs) So we have the return of uh, Danny Gimp, who's now carrying a sword cane. (laughs) Which is a great method of defence in like mid seventies New York, essentially. <laughs> and it's like, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> Someone's after you. The, I don't think the sword cane's going to help you, is it? Um, I was very sceptical about these stool pigeons because, as if, as if you know, in a city of, I don't know, six million people, I don't know. Well, I think it's because they're local to the area, isn't I it? So. But that's the that's the key. And he does talk about the value of them to the mm. police in quite some detail in this little section. But I, I know what you mean. Does I've always thought that when you have a stool pigeon in a, like a police show, it's like, do they really... Unless you're going for something very specific mm. and you know that they know. Yeah. Someone, it's like, can you just put your ear to the ground and what... And find a... Yeah. But maybe that's the power of informers. Well, maybe. Because, uh, so Hal Willis goes to see Fats Donna... Tubby Comfort. <laughs> Good old Tubby Comfort. <laughs> but Arthur Brown in, goes off to see a, a new one. Oh, a new yeah. Informer we've not had before, which is uh, the Gaucho, or the Cowboy. His <laughs> first appearance, and he definitely comes in I was gonna say, quite seen, a lot more yeah. from here on in. So, a yeah, new character to keep tabs on. Uh-huh. Go through. But they all return a couple of leads for them to follow up. Yeah. As, as the story goes lines on. of investigation well they, they, they've they've come up with a short list of two disgruntled yeah people who Kling's put away or whatever yeah, yeah. or shot ex-cons who are now out of prison and yeah. bear a grudge <laughs> so they use the stool pigeons to track these a uh, couple of individuals down yeah one of whom is from Switzerland with a you know so yeah, there's yeah. You've got one of them who's a guy who's the guy from the end of Sadie when she died. Yeah, thing killed his brother when he was getting the snot kicked out of him, and, and yeah, a guy who's been threatening to get revenge on a cop, and they think it's really be- going to be really really bad. <laughs> this guy's like, yeah, I'm gonna oh, sh- I'll show guy. that cop a thing or two. Yeah, he's he's a good classic McBain yeah. idiotic character, isn't he? Yeah. Well, what happens? What's his form of revenge he's going to take? His form of revenge is massively inconveniencing himself (laughs) for no purpose whatsoever, other than in his own head. So the beat cop's been uh, find him for storing cardboard boxes on non-waste collection days. And so his revenge is not to put any... So he starts, doesn't he? Put him out on waste day, and then he just stops and sa- and saves about a month's work worth <laughs> of waste up, and then puts it out all on one day. And he's like explaining this to whoever it is, Corella, or whoever, and they're just like, right, okay, uh, wasn't that really inconvenient? Oh yeah, it was really inconvenient, <laughs> but I got my revenge, and you're just thinking, 
Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Very strange. He's a properly strange character, yeah. that guy. Yeah. Love it. And then, you know, they're trying to find this girl who's probably, you know, going to get killed if they don't find her, and they're coming across someone like that. Talk about inconveniencing people. Yeah, the, the, pa- the, the passage of says so, so something like, yeah, it was a... He, the, his explanation was also really boring. <laughs> <laughs> but Fat Ollie, I mean, yeah. we, he's back with a vengeance. Well. He sure is. He just walks in, he's like, oh, I just heard about this, and I've got an idea. <laughs> yeah, he's like, if you guys are trying to keep this a secret, forget it. <laughs> I think this is the story that really establishes Fat Ollie as, as the character he is. Does the other one end up with him saying he's going to join the 8-7? Yeah, he keeps saying Does, that, yeah, does yeah. that happen in pretty much everyone he's ever in? Yeah. They seem to, yeah. I like you guys. I'm going to see if I get a yeah. transfer <laughs> to the 8-7. But yeah, he's come down. He's heard it on the grapevine that something's happened to a cop's wife and it's like, yeah. But he's such a good cop. Yeah. He's yeah. the one who's willing to put in the really hard work. Yep. So he has the idea to go through all the photographs and match up everyone in it, make sure they could see if this person was at the wedding. Yep. They can identify him, and it's going to be, take a lot of work. But he just does it. Yep. And Corella's like, stay out of it. And then eventually he's like, oh, actually, it's quite a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, send the bigot off to do this stuff. And it's just fantastic. Hmm. <laughs> It's it's very frustrating to have to like a character mm. that's so repulsive yeah. in almost every sense. But Although in this story, his bigotry isn't on full display. No, Not, no they get a bit in early just to, to remind you that he is a bigot and then kind of let him just get on with police work after that, I think. Yeah, yeah it's a bit more of a workman-like performance from yeah. him, isn't it? He's going off doing all this stuff with the photographs and they're... A lot of the eight seven cops are thinking it's still a kidnapping that's going to have a ransom, mm. and they're waiting for this. But poor Augusta Blair. So eventually, she's like her blindfold and her bindings are cut, and she's offered food by this strange man, but she doesn't really know where she is, and she keeps saying that no one will hear you if you scream, and things like that. And then eventually, sort of wheels out a load of clothes. It's like, I want you to wear these because mm. you wore them in a magazine shoot once. Do you remember? So, instant psycho. Yeah. It was that moment she realised he was insane. Something it says. It's essentially that, isn't it? You just don't know where it's going to go from there. No. Yeah, but he has a scalpel, this guy, doesn't he? Mm. So is that a bit of a clue about him? Maybe. Well, it is. Maybe. And one of the ways that she works out how it gives herself a chance, though, she thinks he's insane... And so she's like, I've got to go to the toilet. And he's so repulsed by the idea of, <laughs> of, you know, the human process of waste removal. He's like, yeah, and leaves her alone. And she buys herself a little bit of mm. time. So she clearly knows that he's bonkers. The, the tip-off that comes from Danny Gimp is about a, a guy who's got a gun, been going around with a gun. And they go to find him, a guy called Manny Barl. Oh, yeah, the Swiss guy. Yeah. So you're a bit suspicious about him because you know about the German mm. accent and you think, yeah. oh, Manfred, yeah. Manfred Baal. <laughs> and they, they eventually find out where he lives and they go and his room's just full of loads of bottles of whiskey. And they're like, why? And the, you know, land landlord or landlady or whoever's like, I don't know, perhaps I could keep it. Well, he's ex-room, <laughs> so he's not there anymore. So mm. he's cleared yeah. out, but he's left, he's left all the a bottles. dozen <laughs> unopened bottles of whiskey. Which... Which leads them... Luckily, it's a brand of whiskey that has the name of the shop that it was bought at on it. 
which is a yeah, bit... like little labels. Yeah. Which they might have done. Who well, possibly, possibly. Not so, so it means that they go to this shop and end up in a sort of a stakeout. In the middle of this investigation, they end up accidentally staking out somewhere. <laughs> Do they, so was the explanation for that that they thought he was staking that shop out to rob? Yeah, so they rec- so they talk to the shop owner. He's like, yeah, he comes in the same time every day. And they're like, ah, pattern. So he's buying this stuff every day or whatever it is at the same time. So they wait for him. Because conveniently they've got there just before the time that he's going to come in. And then they, they collar him. But accidentally get him too quickly because he, <laughs> he hasn't pulled his gun yet. So they can't, they can't get him for holding up the store. Yeah. <laughs> but presumably he scared him off from trying. Yeah. They just have him on uh, firearms at the fence, I think. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so there's all sorts going on. And yeah. I think the thing that's interesting with this then is, obviously what's going to happen is we we discover along with Augusta that the when she somehow manages to get out of her room, this guy's gone off to work. So he tells her, I've got to go to work. So she knows she's got a certain amount of time. So she uses some... A little bit of MacGyvering to get out of the this locked room. She, she, yeah, she unscrews some hinges or something. Doesn't yeah, she? so uses a coat hanger or something to to get the hinges off the door. Yeah. Meanwhile, Fat Ollie is gone around getting van and lorry pamphlets, hasn't he? Yeah, brochures from yeah. like dealerships, and he goes back to see. What's his chops? Not more excellent work from Fat Ollie in. And he shows him loads of pictures of this and he goes, no, that's not just like that. And trying to work out what this vehicle was through the grimy window. Now, that scene ends quite amusingly because he spends ages showing him these pictures and then he was like, it's it's this one. And he was like, bloody hell, it's an ambulance. He could have bloody told us it was an ambulance, not yeah. a white van. I've been speculating about it being a milk truck or a laundry yeah. truck. And- oh, no, it was just a door at the back. All oh, right, okay. So yeah, so then they realise it's an ambulance. So the, yeah, parts are sort of starting to come together. Something else happens around that time. Well, what happens is they discover there's a roll of film that hadn't been developed. Oh, it's that's a roll right. of film yeah. left in the photographer's camera at the end of the day. Yeah. So he develops it and brings in these pictures, and there's someone on there that oh, they can't identify. And they zoom in on him. Don't and they've they? got a really good zoom. And I'm again, this is a bit like with stool pigeons. I'm always a bit dubious about how well you can zoom into a photograph. Mm. I mean, presumably, if conditions are right, they could do what they do here, which is zoom in so close on a guy who's in the back of a photo that you can see a ring that he's wearing on his hand and read what is on the ring, which tells them that he comes from Ramsey University. So it'd have to be pretty close up to start with, you would think. Yeah, you'd think so, and incredibly high definition, which. I mean, isn't it, it's I the photo know. that Kling took, though, isn't it? It's the photo of yes. the photographer with Augusta yeah, that he has Kling to take. Because, the, because it's the only photo on the, the roll that's in the hotel rather than at the reception, so we can see that the person that they couldn't identify from the church is also at the... Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah, so they've got <laughs> Ramsey University, they've got ambulance, access to chloroform. Yeah. Um, they've got an approximate age just from the... the Someone who saw him at the wedding. Yeah. So now they've got Ramsey, they troop off to Ramsey University with his uh, photo, don't they, essentially? Yeah. And then so things start end looking, up happening very quickly. Start looking through yearbooks based based on the, um, the approximation of the age, don't they? And yeah. That all happens quite quickly as well. It, it yeah. does. You get lucky again. There's a bit of slight kind of mismatching of the timelines as well to make you think that there's absolutely no way in hell that this um, investigation is going to 
bear fruit before the critical moment, as it were. Yeah, because you're it's, stuck at 25 past three to half three. Yeah, and at that, point, time at that point, it seems like Steve Carell is still in the, the university idly leafing through yearbooks, and you think, this isn't going to go well. No. But apparently that must have all happened a little bit earlier, I think, really. Well, on the subject of timelines, and this was mentioned by someone on Twitter, is how long does this investigation take? Well, the wedding and the reception starts on Sunday the 10th of November. So the investigation into the kidnapping begins the early morning, Monday the 11th of November. Mm-hmm. We have loads of stuff happens through Monday. The Tuesday is the day where they're mainly doing the follow-up on the tip-offs from the... Uh, stool pigeons and by Wednesday we get all this stuff we're talking about here so basically everything happens on the Wednesday so it starts on a Sunday Wednesday is the day that this ends so it's literally it's a small window of time but Augusta's got out of her room while this is all going on and discovered it's a shrine to her classic psycho it's just covered in pictures of her from magazine shoots and the like. We have uh, Alan Parsons. <laughs> I was going to say. And his, <laughs> yeah, oh, Alan. Yeah. He's super fan and all the, yeah. You're a mentalist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she's a bit freaked out by that, yeah, of course. He's already, he's already told her before he went off to work that he's coming back to clean her up so they can get married. Uh, yeah, and then he can... Married, make love, and then I'm going to slit your throat, he says. Delightful. Yeah. Uh, so she's just gone out the room that she's in, but not the apartment, yeah. hasn't she? So she's kind of loose in the apartment yeah. when he gets the back. The apartment, I think, also has a, a deadbolt that can only be opened with the key, yeah, doesn't so it? So she's still trapped but in she's there. Pretty resourceful. She does a good job, actually. It's uh, it, it's quite nice that she isn't just a kind of helpless damsel in distress, and she does actually kind of do a pretty good job of getting right together yeah. and, and breaking out of that room. She's she's quite impressive, I think. Yeah, it's just taken her longer than she thinks because she's got no idea what the time mm. is. So she doesn't know until the last minute that she's sort of run out of time because he's told her, I will be back at 3.30. She didn't know what 3.30 was until she got out of the room and could see something else. And she mm. sort of... But you think it's all going to go horribly, horribly wrong, mm. but this guy does want to marry her. Oh, he does. So, yeah. She suffered her, his hands upon her, is the phrase he uses, because he bathes her. Oh. But, yeah. Uh, yuck. So, the, yeah, literally, the, the last chapter in the book, chapter 13, is everything happens in that. <laughs> You've got Bill Bailey identifying the ambulance. You've got the photographer coming back with the pictures. They've got Ramsey University. You've got Augusta being dressed for her wedding, in air quotes. You've got the guy... The kidnapper basically saying, oh, yeah, I was kicked out of medical school because I mutilated a cadaver. <laughs> yeah. He seems quite proud about that, doesn't he? Yeah, he seems quite pleased with himself. Then yeah. he starts going on about his mum, doesn't yes, he? Yes, he's and... got some issues, it's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. And meanwhile, the police are ringing around all the hospitals and healthcare places to try and work out if this guy works there. Mm. And, you know, places where you'd have access to an ambulance. So that's the only narrowing down they can do, really. And, of course... He does He does rape Augusta at the end of it, or tries to. Mm. It's very hard to define rape. The act of rape was mm. only just because he couldn't get a hard on. It's not yeah. rape. It is rape. Uh, yes, absolutely. But he's like, yeah, well, might as well kill you now. <laughs> so, and then the door bursts open. Fat Ollie shoots him. Yeah, heroic Fat Ollie. 
And it's it's a very interesting thing because mm. it does set up a psychological sort of issue for the future of of um, Augusta and and Bert's life together. In that she, he makes it clear that Steve and Bert didn't open fire mm. on this guy. Well, he's like about to stab her, isn't yeah, he? So and they he's like hesitate. lunging at, and they like yeah, they hesitate, and but fatally doesn't for a second. Mm. So there's all there's something there, sort of like why why wouldn't you have killed him, husband? Yeah. So, I'm sure that won't come back to bite them. And everything <laughs> from here on in, once yeah, they, get off on, they can go off on honeymoon now. They've had a lovely time. Finally. Yeah, yeah everything's going to be plain sailing for, for the Klings. Yeah. Phew. Hmm. That was a very spoilery look through the yeah, book. So well, there's no way to do it otherwise. Well, yeah, yeah. If you can't, if you can't talk about what happens in this one, yeah. there's not a huge <laughs> yeah. amount to talk about. So if really. you don't want to know what happens in the book, please ignore Rewind, the preceding yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> right, well, we better sum up then, really. We better we better make our decisions on grading this sort Oof. of thing. Tricky. As well. Because well, we've been on a bit of an upward trend with the scores. The one thing I was going to say, though... The, oh, go on. I bet there's very few... There's no reproductions of anything or photos mm. or anything. True, I bet actually. there's very, very few entries in the I, canon I think... that have none. I don't know if I'm right. I feel like this would probably score relatively low in 87 Precinct Bingo. Mm. Yeah, despite it having loads and loads of sort of in-world references mm. and loads and loads of cops, but actually a lot of the things... Well, yeah, you say that, but then there are two or three like little moments of vignettes where he's talking about the difference between the hotels, mm. like where they're going to one hotel to find I somebody. Guess, yeah. It's very much like city, city history, I suppose all so, that yeah. sort of stuff in there, which is very but, good. But, yeah. yeah, it would be moderate to low, I would mm. think, yeah. compared to the others. That's a, an observation <laughs> for what it's worth. Oh, it's worth it's worth it. It's waiting gold, as always. So how are we going to score this then? Well, well, I can't score anything without... Uh, you you can have a look the at Kenneth. Kenneth. The Kenneth printout. Morgan can go first this week, I would think. Ah, or wow. you, Paul. Oh, don't say that. Oh, there we go. Look at let's, that. Let's have a look. I like, they uh, are currently oh. reading the scores. So, yeah. We, yeah, okay, yeah. Right, well, there you right, go. Okay, well, I mean, I did find this to, to be enjoyable. As I say, I, I, although there are points where I think it possibly somewhat stretches credibility, it was definitely not as daft as the other wedding-themed novel. No, uh, not by a long novel, chalk. Not by a long chalk. And it's it's always good to have a good fat Ollie story, and there's, this is definitely one of those. Quite an engaging sort of creepy psychopath as well, which... You know, keeps the interest up. Um, European baddies always good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good values yeah, yeah. Like American Europe, things. Your creepy European psychopath is <laughs> is always good. So yeah, enjoyable. Not necessarily an absolute sort of classic standout within the series. Missing a few of the things that I'd sometimes look for in in one of these, but eh, you know. I feel like it's going to, for me, the score's going to go down from our, our previous few. So I'm probably going to go in at somewhere in the region of, let's say, 68 police shields. 68 police shields from Morgan. I will go next. Oof. Last. <laughs> well, you get prime spot this Hello, time. Yeah. I, I remembered Oof. this story as being worse than actually I thought it was when I reread it. I really enjoyed rereading hmm. it. But that's probably because I'm so absorbed in the world of the 87th Precinct now. I've got all the little references hmm. to enjoy. So it's a fan. As a fan, it's nice to read it and get all those little, you know, see all those faces 
look at those references back to all those yeah I suppose if you're reading it out of sequence none of that would really mean anything to you would yeah. it but yeah it does lack certain precinctness for my liking mm. it's and there's just a few too many a few too many does that make sense yeah. a few too many coincidences <laughs> a few coincidences too many yes I'm tired um, <laughs> the German character you say yeah, the sentence the, backwards I'm doing the eye out of the door must go <laughs> sequence coincidences <laughs> many they are too fewly many essentially that so I love it it's a good book but it's not going to be a high scorer from me in fact I'm just going to score it 60 please shields oof okay yeah so I think it lacks, you, it lacks a certain meatiness somehow, and I'm not really sure what I mean by that. But I think I know. Um, I, I feel like I know too. It's not quite, um, yeah, difficult to put your finger. I, I did enjoy it reading it back, and perhaps like you a bit more than I thought, because I think I remember the other wedding one more. I remember yeah. that being really daft, but um, it it does rattle along nicely, as I said at the beginning, and you're quite engaged to find out how on earth they're going to sort suss it all out in time but yeah it just lacks a bit of the the breadth that some of the mm. others have really yeah uh, and so i was thinking exactly the same score as you actually 60 right uh, i would say that gives us using our patented rounding down system <laughs> 62 police shields for this mm. one 62 there we oh, go that's okay fair. so how does that compare well low, lower lower quartile i would say for lower quartile. for, 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 for 62 will be about, um, yeah, so amongst live the analysis. half dozen lowest scored, I would say. Which, are, which yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, most of these are pretty strong, even if they're in the lower quartile, aren't they? Exactly, it's yeah. It's it's a, a cracking, exciting little read, isn't it, really? Yeah. But it's it feels like a little read, rather than, whereas some of the, the more recent entries have been quite sort of... You feel like stick in your mind, and you're like, Oof. yeah. You feel feel like he's kind of expanding a bit, and they're getting a little bit more complex, and there's a bit more depth. than this one doesn't really have that, I think. Yeah, you know, if you go into your bookcase and like, well, Blender's one I used to read. You know, you you wouldn't be. It wouldn't this be the one. first one you'd grab now. No, definitely not. But some, like I say, rewarding for the uh, the series reader. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think in in its little place keeps things ticking over. Definitely. Okie dokie. Well, that's. So long as you both shall live from 1976, we will return with a bonus episode and we will next be doing the book, book number 32, Long Time No See, which I haven't read for ages. So I'm looking forward to getting stuck into that as the next one. So the the, the title's quite apt then, really, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's very <laughs> apt, Steve. Well spotted. <laughs> right. So in the meantime... Just just an observation. It was a it? very good observation. Yeah. One of your gold standards. Uh, in the meantime, I am going to say goodbye, and I'll do it like this. Goodbye. Fairly well. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs>